And it's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, so we talked about moving into a new sermon series. And oftentimes when I think about the the plans that we have and where we want to go as a congregation, um, usually New Year's is a time or January is a time when we talk about the habits that we'll have or the things that we'll do, you know, kind of those those motivating things that are driving many of us as we move into New Year's resolutions and, and all the things that might follow. And, you know, there's different times we might do health or we might do rest or we might do a number of different things. But as I was thinking about it and praying about it for us, I couldn't help but just reflect on where we are and and some of the hopes that we have. like you, I've been hoping that 2021 is going to bring something different, right? That we're going to be able to go back to a sense of normal, to be in worship together. We're going to be able to do events and go to concerts and, you know, do the things that we value so much in our life together. And, And so, as I looked at that and I kind of look off in the future, I wonder, though, before we get there, because we're not there yet, if we might find something that we can learn and grow together in here and now. Not just the things that we want in the future, and not necessarily even the new things that we've taken on, because so many of us have given up and taken on new things throughout this time that to think about one more thing added to our plate is just overwhelming. In fact, that's kind of where we're at at some level, exhaustion. Overwhelming. I was reading an article about the the takeaways of the pandemic, and and one of the takeaways is that many of us are tired. Perhaps we are unable to go on the vacation that we had planned and that we were hoping for, or even if we go on the vacation, the day after getting back, we find ourselves at 11 a.m. back in the daily grind, tired and needing that second round of coffee because we just didn't find the rest that we needed. And isn't that I've learned about that? I think that it's not necessarily that um, the vacation or the rest or the weekend or whatever it is that we had didn't fill us back up enough. I think that we didn't do something wrong on it. I think the truth is, is that many of us live unsustainable lives. It, experts have been telling us this for years and years, whether it's uh, in regards to our personal finances, whether it's in regards to consumption and the things that we have, or, or psychologists have been telling us and expectations for ourselves, or even the ways that we manage our own schedules. We are unsustainable in our daily lives. So to think about going back to the way things were is also kind of a temptation to go back to a lifestyle that wasn't sustainable. And even some of us right now might find ourselves in that sort of a lifestyle right now with extra, extra, extra digital stuff put upon our plate that we find ourselves exhausted. And so we gather this morning to begin our sermon series with a scripture from the Gospel of Mark. I love the Gospel of Mark. If you know anything about the Gospel of Mark, it was the first of the Gospels that have made their way into our Bible to be written, and it is kind of to the punch, just like go, 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 action every step of the way. And what we find right here in chapter 6 is that Jesus and his ministry are really starting to get going. And in fact, not just his ministry, but the politics around his ministry are starting to get more complicated, and they're starting to get more intense. Preceding this passage, uh, his, the, 
one of his kind of friends and colleagues in ministry, the one who baptized him, John the Baptist, died. John the Baptist died and was beheaded, and then he goes and he gathers, you know, all of a sudden people start wanting to hear this Jesus. And a crowd of 5,000 men is what they count. So according to the biblical narrative, it could have been 10 to 15,000 even, right? It could have been a lot of people had gathered there. And when they gather there, the disciples, we don't have any food, you know the story. And Jesus says, well, what do we have, right? And so there he goes from his uh, kind of predecessor dying to a crowd that needs, that's yearning for something more. And he makes this miraculous time when everyone eats out of five loaves and two fish. That everyone gets their fill. And so the build of the moment and, the, and kind of the climax is going, and then Jesus pauses. And it's quite interesting because it's not what you would expect him to do. You'd expect him to do what he does later, which is walk on water and start doing other miracles, raise Lazarus from the dead, all the things that are yet to come. You kind of expect that. But within the gospel, there are moments of rest, of pause. And so Jesus sends out the disciples to go out on the boat. And then he goes up on the mountainside to pray. Many have talked about as a rhythm that Jesus reflects in his life. A rhythm of going from resting to working and working to resting. Rhythm that we cannot just go, 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 go. We cannot just go, 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 go because we find ourselves burning ourselves out. And Jesus reflects even here in this high intense gospel narrative an invitation to do life a little differently. And I wonder what that looks like for us with, you know, trying to overbook our schedules, making sure our kids are in this activity, that activity, or making sure we're doing this, that, and the other, because being still uh, is being lazy, and you can't just pause for a minute. I've watched friends in ministry and friends in other jobs that have given their all. Everything they have, week in, week out, no breaks, no nothing, just going, doing their best they can for the passions that they have. And too often I've seen how that is unsustainable and leads to eventually burnout. Churches especially are guilty of this. We find a leader to be an usher or a musician or whatever it is, and, and we jump on the opportunity because of the gifts and the skills that they have to bring to our congregation. And so we put them in, coach, put them in, coach, put them in, coach. We get, keep on putting them in until they're so exhausted from the days, from everything that we're asking them to do because we add this and we add that and we kind of have them go that eventually they just say, all right, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Pace matters. 
I learned that a long time ago. I was a, a cross-country runner in high school, and, and one of the things that I, I learned real quick was my freshman year of high school. Our team was really, really good that year, and I was on the varsity team. I was a freshman. I was so excited, and we made the state meet, right? And we were expected to do pretty well at it. And so I had all the nerves and the energy, and I was warming up, and I was ready to go. And, and I don't know if you know a lot about, like, running and running long distance. Uh, cross country is 3.1 miles, 5K. It's a, three, it's a 5K race in high school. And so, uh, you know, like, you have to pace yourself. I got out, and my first mile was a 5-minute and 20-second mile. <laughs> and for those of you that know anything about miles and running, that's a pretty darn quick clip. Mind you, I had never run like a 15-minute 5K. So there I was, and you know, a third of it done, and I had run faster than I had ever run any mile within any race before. And go figure, I ended up letting my, well, not letting my team down, but having my worst race in months that year. Because I just went out, and I was so excited to go, and I just, I just ran. And everyone around me was kind of like cheering me on. Like I had all these people because it was a state meet and, you know, everyone was running fast because it was the best of the best in our state. But I got out to a speed that I couldn't sustain. And if you can't sustain it, the end result, well, isn't what you hope for. We find ourselves uh, this morning in preparation for uh, the celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And as I've kind of, you know, we've, we've talked about race a lot over the past year because of all of the events that 2020, 2020 has had and all of the, um, the visible signs of injustices and racism still in our systems. But one of the things that I kind of go back to, uh, during that time I was listening to a podcast, um, and I was listening to the podcast and it was talking about equity, and talking about personal equity. And they were telling about loans that were given out in the suburbs starting in New York, but then kind of went around throughout the United States. And this wasn't that long ago. It was during the suburban sprawl, right? You know, it was in the 60s and even into the 70s. But specific laws were written into the growth of those suburb areas that prohibited African Americans from buying those properties or taking out those loans. And so there was a group of people that were able to build equity that would last generations in the suburbs and then the African-Americans were not part of that system. And, and the, the author was just trying to make the point, or the podcast person was just trying to make the point that these injustices aren't just today's decisions. They're years ago in the making, decades ago, that decisions that were made then to prohibit African-American and black people from taking out loans in the suburbs is affecting them now because the sort of compounding of equity and capital on a household and a family. And, and then that, you know, reminded me as I was listening that it, it was only in 1964 right? 1964, that civil rights laws were enacted. 
And that prior to that, you know, we've been hearing a lot in the news about historical black colleges and universities, which are are great institutions, but the, the phrase historical black is a reference to all the colleges and universities that were the only places that people of color could go to for higher education prior to those civil rights acts that they were not allowed, they weren't required to integrate uh, as they are today, that they have to accept people regardless of their race and ethnicity, right? It's just mind-boggling to think about that my parents might not have been able to go to the school that they wanted to, or my grandparents, not because they didn't have the money or weren't smart enough, but because of the color of their skin. And I say this because pace matters. And the work of justice is not overnight and doesn't happen one day and then it's gone tomorrow. It's a long process of uprooting the sort of layers of the onion that have been put upon it. And just like in our personal lives, if we stack on expectations and the things that we must do, if we go after this thing called justice as if we're going to fix it right now, today, this second, we're going to be limited in our scope. It takes harder, slower work to make significant changes especially ones that are cultural. There's a a phrase, uh, uh, this um, church consultant talks about strategies and culture. And I'm a strategy guy. Like, I like to have, like, A, B, C set up, and this is what we're going to do for the future. But he says that culture eats a good strategy for breakfast 100% of the time. What he meant by that is that you can have all of the pieces set up to make the changes and you can go after those strategies as hard as you can with as much vigor, but culture will overpower that. And culture, well, it's like moving the Titanic. It's slower process. It takes projection ahead and small degrees of change. To change culture, to work towards injustices, takes slow things like listening first. Sounds crazy, right? But hearing from another perspective. It takes a, a slow process to hear one and what's truly going on. And then to work with them to make the changes that are needed, changes that free us. So I think this is both a communal but also a personal lesson that we might learn. If you're going a million miles an hour, you don't have time to listen. You can act. And if we expect everything and the divisions that our country has been seeing, especially over this past year, but that have long, deep roots, 
we expect those to go away overnight, well, we are as misguided as the person that thinks life is most fully met going 100 miles an hour nonstop. Jesus, even in the midst of all that he had to accomplish, invites us to change our rhythm. Looking back on the Old Testament, when we gather around the table, we talk about the times, you know, when we turned our backs on God and God's love remained faithful and steadfast. We talk about them as if, like, like it's a this and that, right, at the table, because it's just this brief liturgy of, like, two minutes long. But the time when Israelites were exiled to the time when they were able to come back into the land was 70 years according to the Bible. And it says that until the land has had its rest, God says, you will not be able to come back. That in 70 years, 77, 70 Sabbaths, 77 years, lots of sevens, that change takes time. And for us as a community to acknowledge the work of injustices takes time. And that doesn't mean we can't have urgency. It just recognizes that we're in a broader, more difficult topic than just a flip of the switch. So this week, I want to invite you to a different pace. On the personal level, I want to invite you, perhaps, to cut something or to not add something. Reflect on the pace of life that you have had, and perhaps you're in two camps. It's super busy right now, or it's really laid back right now. But either way, as you go back into this sense of normal and you think about what life might look like, what might it look like with a more sustainable pace for you? What would a healthy schedule that reflects ways in which you can grow and a schedule that creates margin, extra space, time to be bored, Because I know that the hard work of things like justice, well, they come in long conversations that sometimes we don't have time for. To listen and hear. To research and to pray. So this week, as we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Let's remember the long, hard work of the people that have gone before, that saying, that song that we began our worship with. Put blood, sweat, and tears through generations to fight injustices. Let's remember that work. Let us think now, not flipping the switch and making it all go away, but what can we do day by day? so that we might be peacemakers 
that we might seek justice, that we might live more sustainably.